0: You're listening to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast, episode 33, The Boys Are Back in Town. The year is 1946, the war is over, and a new generation growing up in the shadow of the atom bomb wonders what's on at the pictures tonight. They open the paper, turn to the entertainment pages, and look for the ad for their local movie house. Turns out it's a little something called A Night in Casablanca. Something about that title rings a bell. Weren't there a couple of pictures made before the war? Something like A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races with some very funny fellows in them? Strictly speaking, this new title, A Night in Casablanca, is meaningless. The opera and the races weren't just locations, but sources of entertainment, the respective night and day, indicating the moment at which one experiences them. But Casablanca is just a place. So which night is this? The film's events unfold over a period of many days, no one night of which is shown to be of any particular significance. (laughs) No, the real meaning of this title is extrinsic to the narrative, and what it means is, the Marx Brothers are back. It's the best news since the
1: ceasefire. Madness, mayhem and mirth mingle in a wild melange of Marx Brothers buffoonery as the clown princes of comedy, bring you their inimitable spoof of a Bogart classic in A Night in Casablanca, starring the looniest triumvirate in motion picture history. Groucho as the harried manager of Hotel Casablanca, who is marked for death. Chico as Groucho's self-appointed bodyguard and sometime house detective. Harpo, who silently uncovers a stolen Nazi treasure and outwits a Nazi spy played by Sig Ruman. You'll cheer when he breaks the bank in Casablanca. You'll scream with joy as you see him in a duel to the death with a trained swordsman. You'll roar with laughter when Groucho swings at some fast curves thrown by delectable Lisette Ferreira. Mystery and romance lend spice to this bubbly broth of Marxian mirth and merriment as the world's funniest comedy trio spends a night in Casablanca. <laughs> the film
0: went on to be the team's biggest hit of all in cost to profit ratio terms and is considered by many to be one of the major high spots of their later career. So, as well as the howlraiser
2: of 1946
0: as well as the Howl Razor of 1946, absolutely. So before we take a long and lingering look at it, let's round up our usual suspects. In the red corner, waxing Roth and still wearing last year's badge, is the man who revived I'll Say She Is, and has put even more effort into keeping the Marxes alive than the guy who varnished Groucho prior to his appearance in Skidoo,
3: Noah Diamond. thank you thank you of all the podcasts and all the towns and all the world you had to walk into mine and in the blue corner that one man strange
0: interlude riding like fury with ethel and mabel the man that index compilers call Gasell, comma bob
2: i'm just doing this because no one needs the money
0: (laughs) (laughs) as for me you can call me matthew conium i won't mind And returning from That Room with Those Pigeons is a Hollywood writer, producer, and director, partly responsible for the likes of Dolomite Is My Name, Ed Wood, Man on the Moon, and The People vs. Larry Flint, and known and loved the world over for his appearance in the Marx Brothers Council podcast episode 12, Scott Alexander. It's a pleasure. If I had a fizz, I would have worn it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, before we get stuck into the film proper... Um, I wanted to just say a word or two about my own personal history with it because it was one of the very first ones I ever saw. I first saw the Marx Brothers in Christmas of 1983 in a TV season of five of their films and it was the Paramounts bar coconuts. And this one. So it's, it's a hell of a test for it. Um, and obviously, I knew nothing about their career at that time. Um, I could see that there was something a bit different about it, but that's about as far as it went. And when it finished, uh, my dad and myself, who'd been watching a few of them, turned to each other and said, not quite as good tonight, was it? Which, when you think of what the, what the comparison was, that's actually something of a thumbs up. As well as the, one of the very first ones I saw, it was actually the last one I saw for a second time. And it's still the one I've seen least. It's the only one, really, where I can't anticipate every line or know necessarily which scene is coming next while I'm watching it. When I was programming the Bath Marx Brothers weekend in 2016, I selected it as the Sunday film. Uh, the Saturday was Animal Crackers that was a no-brainer and I wanted uh, one for the Sunday that was a little bit longer than Monkey Business, Horse Feathers or Duck Soup which would have been the obvious choices if they weren't a little bit too short I thought Uh, I didn't want to push my luck with coconuts having had my way with Animal Crackers so it basically came down to a night at the opera or A Night in Casablanca, and I ruled out opera simply because in Britain, that's the one you can see at the cinema all the time. If you live in London, you can probably see it at least half a dozen times a year. So I went for Casablanca and I was quite surprised that quite a few people came back to me and said, shooting yourself a bit in the, in the foot a bit there, aren't you? You know, that's, that's not very good. And, and it was a bit of a shock to me to realize that it does still have a lingering reputation as, as, as not really all that good. Um, I'm pleased to say that it, that it did go down very well on, on the Sunday and that my opinion of it remains pretty much the same as when I was 10, which is not quite as good as the Paramounts. In other words, Pretty
4: darned not bad at all. Uh, any other general thoughts? Well, it means a lot to me. It is the first Marx film I ever saw, and I and I saw it in a movie theater. Uh, my fabulous parents. Uh, I was about eight or nine. Thought this is this is the time to introduce Scotty, and so I saw it in a theater. Uh, you know, with four hundred people. And uh, that, that opening shot still gives me goosebumps because it takes me back to that first viewing with that David L. Lowe Presents, the Marx Brothers, and the da-da-da, 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 da-da, that big fanfare and that sense of something big and important is about to happen. And so uh, it, it's always been a, a special one to me. Uh, and I actually just realized it's the last film of the Marxes that I saw before uh, the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> there's a theater here in LA that does a New Year's double feature every year, and New Year's Day 2020, uh, Night Casablanca was one of the two films, and so I, I actually saw it with an audience a little over a year ago, and it it played, baby, it played. Mm-hmm. My earliest uh, encounters with it were it came in the
3: middle of for me when I was discovering the Marx Brothers films. And so I know that the first time I saw Night in Casablanca, I hadn't yet seen Horse Feathers, for example, which is interesting. I think it is true that for a long time, we all sort of unfairly dismissed Night in Casablanca as just another one of the disappointing and sort of sad later efforts. And it's true that it's is—it's quite a bit better than that. Although I, I did feel on these recent reviewings that maybe we've overcorrected at this point because I now sit down to this one expecting it to be better than it is, expecting it to be more exceptional than it is. And I've been feeling lately that if it is a return to form, that form is a day at the races.
4: Uh, I, I, I agree with you, but it's sure as hell not room service or the three later MGMs. Yeah, It is a return to form, Mm -hmm. which is impressive considering all the years that have gone by. Yeah.
2: You know, even though I was around during the Marx Renaissance during the early 70s, and I was living in a a big city with lots of revival theaters, you know, uh, Chicago, I don't recall seeing A Night at Casablanca uh, for quite a while. Uh, My opinions were definitely formed by... Uh, Joe Adamson's book, uh, he wasn't too keen on it. And, you know, that didn't inspire me with a lot of confidence. But when I did actually see it on, on the, I think it was on the CBS late movie, they ran it, uh, like 1030 at night. I was like, wow, this is. Quite a bit better than I was led to believe and really enjoyed it. And it was like, oh, my God. And, you know, it was in the 40s. was actually more modern than any of the other Marx Brothers films I had seen. And I was like, wow, this is really good. But I do have to go along with Noah here. And I'm sorry he got on first and beat me to it. (laughs) In that (laughs) while my opinion of the film has not changed, I see so many other people a uh, champion and saying, oh, you know, this is underrated, this is underrated. this is really a good film. I think it's almost to the point now where it's overrated uh, somewhat. you know, it has a lot of good stuff to it, and it's certainly better than all the other late work they did. but I still don't think it rises to the level of even the worst of their best films, if you know what I mean And by the worst of their best films, at least for me, I'm saying uh, a day at the races, which I would say is the bottom of their classics. I don't think it reaches that level. But still, I'm so glad that we have it, and I would be very happy if we had more Marx films of this quality.
0: I suppose uh, this is also the best place to point out that the there is another reason why this film is unique, and that is that it is the only Marx film <laughs> to have received a tie-in novelization. Now, this... Is as strange an artifact as you would expect. It's written by somebody called D.L. Ames, of whom I could find a few other traces, but no more hard information. He or she mm-hmm. appears to have been a reasonably prolific pulp fiction writer specializing in film tie ins and magazine serials. Um, it's a very odd book. On page one, it tells us that the characters who call themselves Cornblow, Rusty, and Gobaccio are really Groucho, Harpo, and Chico marks, and it then refers to them as Groucho, Harpo, and Chico throughout. Um, <sighs> As you can imagine, it it doesn't have a very light touch, and I will just give you one sample (laughs) just to give you an idea of of what these these tight-packed pages contain. Count Pfefferman found Harpo in his dressing room, shining shoes. Harpo had his own method of shining shoes, a method almost as complex as his own mind. (laughs) This consisted in fixing about 20 shoes at a time to pegs driven in the wall, so arranged that a shoe protruded from under each arm, between the legs, on either side of the neck, along the small of the back, in fact... (laughs) In contact with every available surface of Harpo's body,
4: and there's about a hundred pages of this. Wow, um, um, Matthew. I mean, DL. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go out on a, on a limb and say that DL Ames is British. Uh, I think DL Ames <laughs> is British. Yes,
0: it's certainly a British book. So I, I think that's, <laughs> that's I think a, that's true. It's uh,
4: extremely literal. Yeah. So hey, you
2: you have to give uh, Mayo credit for bringing that. Uh, image to the screen, you
4: know? <laughs> bringing it to life. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, i, I, I watched the, I watched the film three nights ago with my wife, and that shot came on, and she's laughing, and D.L. Ames is turning it into a mathematical equation.
0: <laughs> so, if anybody's interested in chipping in, I'm starting a crowdfunding campaign to have this made into an
4: audiobook read by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well uh, Matthew, I'm, I'm highly curious. Is, is it a transcript of the movie, or is it a transcript of the shooting script, including scenes that were cut out? It
0: does have scenes that were cut out. Yes, it does. It has the, the, the famous first Groucho scene in there, and one or two other bits and pieces.
4: So it's sort of useful, but sort of not really
0: all that useful. All
4: right, okay, well, I, I, I have a, a bunch of continuity questions later that relate to, I'm assuming, the 20 minutes that were cut out, so maybe you'll be able to help me. Uh, maybe (laughs) I I can't can't say I poured over every page of this book.
0: (laughs) Well, if not you, who
2: does the book detail why Harpo has forsaken a wig for glued on cotton candy?
4: (laughs) Sadly, not. No, (laughs) doesn't it explain why Pierre is broke but refuses to get a job? Um. No. <laughs> and he
2: only has one set of clothes.
4: And
3: he goes to such trouble to point that out.
2: Hi. I'm on reserve. I wear the
3: uniform. I have no other clothes. I'm naked when I wash these clothes.
4: Hi. I'm the I'm the hero and pathetic. <laughs> to be honest, I don't even know why
0: they want to kill all those managers. And, and and why is it in their interest to get their own manager in there? Why are they so crap at that, that that, that manager after manager has to be killed?
2: They know the, the treasure is in the hotel, but they don't know where. They
0: don't know where it is. They have
2: to get another manager in there so they can look for it?
0: But why can't they just look for it the same way Harpo did?
2: Yeah, or when the manager's on his day off or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well they have to keep killing managers? That's a... That's the sort of thing somebody would do on Scooby Doo, isn't it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it, it falls into the, the Mark subgenre of murder films. Mm, yeah. Yeah, always always start
0: the film with a murder. Gets a comedy comedy off to a
3: roaring start. Usually, Douglas Dumbrill is involved when when it's a murder production. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is one of numerous connections that it does have with Casablanca, and I know one of the things that's always said about this film is that it was supposed to be more of a dead-on parody of Casablanca. It wound up not being that, and sure, it isn't. But I I think it has more connections than is usually um, granted with Casablanca. And one of them is that Casablanca begins with the murder of the two German couriers and the news of that spreading around, even the music, you know, the opening theme, which Scott hummed so beautifully moments ago, you know, it's often said about Casablanca, how strange it is that it doesn't begin with either as time goes by or La Marseille. It begins with this kind of generic Middle Eastern intrigue music, and so does this.
0: Okay, well, some necessary exposition now, so by all means, go off and make a cup of tea and come back when I'm done. But uh, this film, as I said, was made in 1946. I think we're actually very lucky to have it. Gummo had been offering the team's services to all the independent producers in town, uh, not solely because Chico needed the money, as we're accustomed to hearing. That was nothing new, but also because Groucho needed the work. It was Brother Julius who'd called time on the act in 1941. Chico was openly opposed to the idea, But five years on, the solo glory Groucho had hoped would follow had added up to little more than a few guest spots on other people's radio shows. And it was in a spirit of desperation that he sanctioned the reunion. And if the offer to make Copacabana had come any earlier, it's unlikely he would have agreed to do Casablanca at all. As it is, I strongly suspect the Gummo held back the Copacabana offer. He'd first approached that film's producer, Sam Coslow to offer him the team film until after the ink had dried on the Casablanca contract. The producer's signature on that contract was not Coslow's, but David Lowe's, he being the L.O. portion and the brothers the M.A. of Loma Vista, the production company they set up to make the film. Lowe is more of a key player in all this than many people realize. The thing you always, always see in discussions of this movie is a story often described as more entertaining than the film which claims that Warner Brothers objected to the film's title on the grounds of copyright infringement. Ever the enemy of pomposity, Groucho sent off a hilarious spoof letter in reply, only to discover that the Warner's buffoons took him seriously and sent another letter asking for further information, thus setting in motion a series of increasingly funny spoof letters from Groucho and increasingly witless responses from Warners. It's a story that's always bothered me. Why, I wondered, were these the only letters in the entirety of the book The Groucho Letter as not to be dated? Why here and in every one of the multiple other sources that tell the story are the supposed warner's replies only ever paraphrased and never properly quoted? Well, the answer has a lot to do with producer David Lowe. He was a well-known figure on the Hollywood fringes, viewed as sub-royalty by virtue of his being the son of MGM co-founder Marcus Lowe but he was also a mischief maker, much given to concocting elaborate phony publicity scams to promote his independently made product. And his favourite tactic, used multiple times before Casablanca, was to goad, cajole or bribe somebody into making vocal and public objections to what he was doing, then win the day and present the whole affair as a victory against censorship and his latest effort as the film they didn't want you to see. Check out my book, The Annotated Marx Brothers, for much more detail on earlier, sometimes spectacularly inventive variations on this theme. The Casablanca scam was merely the latest in this series. Why then, you may be wondering, did Warners not put a stop to all this and either put out their own press release saying, of course we're not objecting and sending silly letters to Groucho Marx, or really call their bluff and slap a cease and desist on them for real? Lowe must have been at least a bit worried about that happening, surely? Well, the answer, I suspect, may have something to do with the fact that immediately after the film was completed and Loma Vista was dissolved, Lowe instantly formed a new production company called Enterprise Productions. His partners this time were the actor John Garfield and a man called Charles Einfeld who, according to Enterprise Productions' publicity, had bumped into Lowe at a Hollywood party and by the end of the evening had decided to throw in his present job to go into partnership with Lowe. And what had been his job until that fateful meeting? He was vice president in charge of advertising and publicity
2: at Warner Brothers. Ooh, the plot thickens.
4: Well, did he need a man on the inside if Warner's never wrote back? I think just
0: to, just to make sure that he could get away with doing it in the first place that 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 Warner's wouldn't get back, uh, and probably they were already planning to uh, to go into partnership together. So uh, a nice arrangement for all concerned, I think.
2: Yes. Well, on on a related note, let me ask this: since the Marxes, you know, had a lot more pull on this production, why do you think it is that they didn't call on you know some old hands to uh, take part in the writing?
0: Old hands, I don't know. I mean, they certainly did have a a say in the writers, didn't they? I think some uh, Groucho chose um, Roland Kibbe, who had written for him on radio. Yeah, he was a radio Uh, guy. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, old time. I don't know. I don't know how much money they had to throw around. I mean, they certainly wouldn't have been able to afford a a George Kaufman or something like that. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean... Bob, the idea of just the the round the round robin of writers does get very expensive.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So, as an indie production, they probably had to uh, choose their battles.
2: Right. I was thinking like a Nat Perrin or something.
4: Yeah, yeah, of course. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. In terms of overviews, uh, I, I I I just want to sort of again doing a defense for the movie. Uh, it's 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 really designed as a vehicle, uh, much more so. Uh, than everything from Thalberg onward. Uh, the young lovers are really kicked to the curb in this movie. I, I, I don't know if the young lovers get more than three minutes in this film. Right. Uh, which, which is great. There's no filler. There's no water ballet. Uh, there's no Kenny Baker singing. There's no Tony Martin singing. It, it, it is just wall-to-wall Marx silliness.
2: But, Scott, what I don't understand is if they're going to do a showcase for the Marxes, which is great, why did they feel the need to spend 10 minutes on a plot that was, you know, really going to get thrown into the background once the Marxists hit the screen? It could have been done in half the time easily.
0: The, the start of the film is, is really misleading. And I, you can yeah. imagine um, first-time <laughs> audiences, re, you know, stealing themselves for late period MGM and then some, because it, it really does take ages to get going. I mean, I, I've, I've, um, I feel slightly ashamed after what Scott, uh went on to say about the opening sequence because I've, I've written down here that it starts with surely the blandest and least exciting title sequence of their careers uh then you get the murder uh we do get the holding up the building gag which we'll come to in a moment stuck in the middle of all this but basically it, you get 10 minutes of plot that that is very
4: little uh used from then on i know i i would say it's it's used it's it's used and abused there, yeah, there, that, that 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 friggin poli- police uh, chief and the governor. <laughs> you, can, you, you can't get rid of those two. <laughs> and d- does everybody else always do
0: a double double take when the when the credits come up? Because it looks like there's somebody else in the cast called Harpo. It's actually Harrow. Harrow. yeah Harrow yeah, Meller. Um, yes. What do you mean? What do you mean? In the credits, there's a guy called Harrow Meller, H-A-R-R-O. Yeah, I I, yeah I, I I don't know how he ended up with that name because I looked him up and his real name was Hans Schmidt. He was, uh, he was a German actor who played Nazis for a few years in the 40s. But, I wasted uh, a
3: little time trying to figure out if he was uh, a relative of Stephen Meller, who played Groucho in some stage productions in the 80s. Oh, wow. <laughs> as far as I could tell, no. 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 no.
2: <laughs> wow. I have two comments on the opening credits. First of all, yeah. Why do they have to abbreviate brothers? It's a freaking motion picture. They, <laughs> they can't fit the whole word "brothers" on the screen. It's marked Rose.
4: Don't don't they? God damn it! Don't they do that in some of the, the MGM films?
2: Yeah. yeah, Night at the Opera. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah, but the
2: I don't know. Film technology is to be advanced <laughs> enough by 1946.
3: Would you like it better if those four other letters were in the opening titles?
2: <laughs> and I can't believe I hadn't noticed this in all the years I watched the film. And this opening tracking shot where it pants down, Chico is in the shot. Yeah. He's there yes. just with his head. But he's down sort of in... hiding, isn't he? Skulking yeah. almost he's like standing.
4: But... What? Wait, I, yeah. I I, I, yeah. I watched yeah. the movie seven times this week. Wait, where, yeah. Come where... On, credit scene expert? Where <laughs> the pants down. Chico is
2: right basically right in the center of the screen behind the credits, but his head is down in some book or paperwork or something. Is he is
4: he and is he, he sitting start. at one of the tables?
2: He's sitting at the at the stand the camel stand.
4: No, 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 no. The credits are, are are in the hotel. Yeah, but, well, there's a camel stand in front of the hotel there. Oh, I wow. Think. Oh, wow. Uh, speaking speaking of, of credits, um, Ruth Roman, who I don't yes. think is in the credits. Now, she's really mysterious, and I got very confused about 1 a.m. last night. Uh, because if you type "Night in Casablanca into Google, you'll get about 50 photographs of Ruth Roman. Who is the 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 harem girl in the bikini? And she shows up in all the stills. She shows up uh, on the poster. Uh, um, you know, happy birthday to you. They're all leering at Ruth Roman. And then I was I was racking my brain trying to figure out: Is she in the film?
0: <laughs> I presume that it's her in the the most important missing Groucho scene, which we will be uh, getting around to. That's uh, hmm. a scene with Groucho and uh, and. Um a sheik's wife so i assume that's her uh, just one more strange reason uh to wonder why they cut
4: her so okay so she so you think she she did actually act in the film i think so yes hmm. it's very interesting how this film
3: is if we want to say uh, as, for, as far as the level of the comedy it's it's roughly on the level of Day at the Races. But, I mean, one advantage it has over Day at the Races is that it is not overproduced. Yes. Except for the somewhat draggy beginning. It doesn't uh, try our patience the way Day at the Races can. Uh, On the other hand, as you point out, Bob, if you were going to strip it down this much it's disappointing that so many of the MGM rules still seem to be in effect. Like, yes, the young lovers don't take up too much screen time, but we're still trapped in this world where the Marx Brothers have to be well-intentioned, and Groucho isn't a fraud in his old sense. It, mm-hmm. The the premise of... Um, one hotel manager after another being killed and now Groucho is the next guy hired that seems richly comic but it doesn't really put him in a situation to to thrive as Groucho it's very strange we're still worshiping Thalberg's edicts even while we're ready to throw out so many of the things that made the later MGM's drag
4: yeah, yeah that that's really that saddens me there, there's a bunch of moments and we we'll, we'll get to them later where Chico starts to be conniving, or Harpo starts to mm. pick someone's pocket, yeah. and then they get yeah. and then they get ashamed, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then they yeah. and then they feel a moment of self-loathing. Like, wh- yeah. why would I do such a thing?
3: <laughs> Does the novelization detail their pangs <laughs> of conscience at all? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, there's two. There's two awful moments, isn't there? There's one where
0: where Chico tells Harpo off and say, "No, no, not that way," and then there's yeah. also when when Harpo finds the treasure, he goes to take some jewels and then slaps his own hand.
2: Yeah.
4: Mm.
2: Yes. I know this is a long shot, but do you think it's possible any of this could be haze Code related? No. I just know they were very particular about showing petty larceny, particularly the heroes, and especially on people who didn't deserve it.
0: Uh, tough, tough going. I mean,
4: 1946, we're, we're moving into that post-war n- dark noir era. All right, right? yeah. yeah so, no, no, I would disagree with that thesis. Okay. It, it, just it, a guess. I, I can't imagine that the, the three boys sat around and saying, well, we have to make sure we're lovable and we have to make sure that we don't commit any fraud or thievery. Uh, maybe it's just the, the writers looked at the most recent films they had made and just assumed this is what you got to do. And then no one spoke up. I think they certainly did look at the most recent films. And there's, there's, there's loads and loads of ideas that have obviously
0: been spun off from, from a viewing of opera and races, I think. So maybe they just watched those two
4: yeah that that that's frustrating because because the Marxists were in charge and they 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 could have they could have gone crazier if they wished to
0: when we should have also say before we leave all this this opening exposition uh, that buried in there is is what is generally considered to be a bit of preemptive litigation avoidance. I don't know where uh, where this takes us with the with the Warner letters uh, story, but Dan Seymour, the film's most tangible link to the other Casablanca, uh, appears to deliver the line "round up all the likely suspects." But that's what we hear him say. If you actually look at his lips, he's saying something slightly different. And what I think he's saying is Jack Warner and Humphrey.
4: Bogart like to take turns drinking each other's bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about the tour before we begin? Uh, we can.
0: We can talk about that. Uh, I
4: mean, it, it's. I mean, it's fun for me to to watch the movie and sort of try to figure out what scenes they toured with. Uh, which scenes seem very worked out and timed, and then listening to the the new Blu-ray which which, ha- which has six minutes of the guys on tour. Um, right. There's one joke that brings down the house. And for the life of me, I can't figure it out. Maybe you three are smarter than me. It's it's easily the biggest laugh they get in the six minutes. And the punchline right. is five francs change. Can someone help me? I, I thought there must
3: be something visual happening there.
2: Perhaps the guy pulled out five hot dogs, you know, francs.
4: Ah, that's a good guess. Oh, okay. okay. I I thought it was maybe a reference to something happening in 1945. It's kind of annoying that I don't get a joke.
2: <laughs> yeah, but for all those uh, waiting for us to play the clip, we're not going to do it. You're going to have to go out and buy the Blu-ray or DVD yourself. Yeah, you should. So don't expect a freebie from us.
0: Although, if you want to hear us doing our own ham-fisted versions of it, <laughs> stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sig Ruman is back, of course, if you want any further proof that, that uh, they've been watching opera and races. Good to see Sig back. And it's a slimmed down Sig, isn't it? I don't know if he's, if he's, if he's contracted dysentery out there in Casablanca, but he's, he seems to have shed quite a few pounds, as well as part of his
3: name. Yeah, it's interesting to see him playing a real Nazi in a Marx Brothers <laughs> villain yes. role, instead of being a doctor or an opera
4: impresario who sort of acts and speaks like a Nazi. The, the Nazi element I I think is really interesting in that I think this and coconuts are there I would say are there only contemporary movies movies that are actually taking place right now and mm-hmm. uh, it, the, the, the movie you know looks and sounds like you know many you know Warner Brothers wartime thrillers
5: mm-hmm.
4: and it, 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 it's it's placing the Marxists in the real world. Which I, which I, I do think gives it a different energy than the others. It's just not, it's just not silliness. Yeah. If I can give one shout out to Archie Mayo before we begin. And I, I, I know Groucho called him a fat slob and said he ruined the movie and this and that. Uh, I think Archie Mayo does a terrific job. Um, and, uh, he's very good at his camera staging. Uh, I mean, the movie had a limited budget, but it actually looks Pretty big. It's got a lot of big street scenes. It's I mean, all the sets are oversized. I mean the the lobby in the hotel is gigantic. Uh Groucho's office is gigantic with a big with a big window outside. Um uh Archie Mayo, uh, and this would be a director's choice, uh, made a point of putting big picture windows outside every set. So every set you have space. You you look outside, you see the trees, you see depth back there. And, and that, that is a director's way of making the movie feel larger. Um, he, he also, uh, as opposed to like Bazell, who will just line the guys up against a wall and shoot very flat. Um, uh, he's sort of, de- I mean, he's not Orson Welles, but he sort of knows the trick of shooting from the corner into the room. And putting something in the foreground, something in the middle ground, and something in the background. And so you you you, ne- you never feel um you never feel claustrophobic in those rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which is which is good direction. Uh, except for except for that that table and the dual scene, but we can talk about that later.
3: <laughs> oh yes.
4: Okay, so apart from that
0: lurking chicko at the start, our first proper glimpse of a Marx Brother is Harpo, and it's the very, very famous holding up the building moment. Um it's uh, it's a it's a big joke, it's a set piece joke, it obviously required a lot of planning. Um it it has got music that sort of hasn't been let in on the joke. When it when it comes down, it's got kind of action movie music, which I think spoils it a little. But it you know, it is a good joke. Um obviously though, uh here is as good a place as any to uh to say Harpo, what the heck does he look like?
3: Yeah. It's yeah. as though now that Groucho's hair has been looking okay for the past <laughs> two films, we're gonna mess around with Harpos. <laughs> I found an interesting um, article from uh, August of 1945, in which this reporter who had visited them on the set uh, reports, uh, wait a minute, here it is. It says, Groucho's upper lip was clean. He paints on that mustache. Harpo was wearing a gray instead of a yellow fright wig. At least that's what we thought. It wasn't a gray wig; it was his own hair. Well, we've been around the block with that enough times—whether it's his real hair or some augmented version thereof. Uh, but this person who saw in person what Harpo looked like in costume for this film said it was gray.
0: Yeah, I mean, you—you you have to wonder if if they weren't sort of told what to say because that that story certainly certainly did the rounds, didn't it? And obviously, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. the hair on gray. the side is his. It could be gray. Yeah, I'm sure it's grey, but it's grey or white. But the idea that it's all his hair, I think, isn't just a mistake. I think that's been quite carefully uh, seeded. He was, I think, he was, he was quite uh, sensitive about his hair, wasn't he? He's always either whipping the wig out for photos or putting a cloth over it, or occasionally even uh, a toupee that would make even Groucho blush. Um, And I think he he didn't. I don't think he didn't want the story to get around that uh, he basically had permed his hair on the sides and then applied some kind of cushion stuffing to the rest.
2: now as far as why harpo was doing this uh we can only guess there were some stories over the years where harpo complained that wearing the wig uh in the studio under the hot lights irritated his scalp oh really yeah you know that seems like a good guess as to why he did it and you know, it's interesting. He goes for a natural look here, and Groucho goes for a natural look in Love Happy. Too bad they couldn't get in sync. Although I should say that I have seen some images where I am pretty sure Harpo is wearing a wig. It, it, you know, some uh, production still. Yeah,
4: oh, okay. So, I mean, I consider this my unspoken marching orders. Yeah. Uh because uh, I think when I did your podcast a couple of years ago, oh. <laughs> I, I said if we ever, if we ever, if you ever have me back for Night in Casablanca, I promise to investigate Harpo's hair frame by frame. <laughs> uh, and I did so, and I didn't see a wig in one shot. Okay. Now, Bob, the Bob, you you you've got the you've got the eagle eyes.
2: Maybe they only use the wig on photo shoots, you know, for stills, close-ups.
4: It could it yeah. could be in itself. I I was really expecting just to, to to stumble across a random Sigurmand shot and go, oh my god, he's in a wig now. But I mm-hmm. I I never found that. I never found that moment. He seems to be in that marshmallow fluff from start to end.
3: I thought that the length and movement of his hair seems to vary. In some scenes, it seems a little buoyant and it sort of bounces when he moves. And sometimes it seems kind of shellacked onto his head in a solid mass but either way though it's such a shame because he, it feels like here i know it's what are we 4 years after uh, the big store um it feels like harpo much more than the others is aging out of his character um and that hair takes him so much farther away than he needs to be
4: uh well i i i, I don't want to bum you guys out but i actually sort of just forgot about the hair <laughs> at a certain point and just watched oh, the movie man.
2: <laughs> for some reason it's never bothered me. You know, of course it looks different, but I don't think it looks worse. I, I just think it looks different. But you know, that's just my taste.
0: I've always found it a bit unpleasant, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Although there is one moment that, that is a bit unusual. You know, it's during his harp solo. There's a shot where it's framed for like 30 40 seconds where you basically just see his face and the harp. You don't see his hair because of the way it's cropped. And for that time, it feels like you're watching Arthur Marks instead of Harpo.
4: Yeah, but Bob, mm-hmm. that the shot you're talking about, I, I actually it made me a little sad because he suddenly looked really aged in that shot. He mm-hmm. he had some he had some creases I hadn't noticed in the rest of the movie. It, it's often claimed that, that that Harpo had some cosmetic surgery
0: prior to Love Happy, and that this film yeah. does support that his face is quite yeah, tight and smooth it's... in Love Happy. But here, it, his face wrinkles freely, doesn't it? When he eats, when he laughs, when he when he's uh, you mm. know going about his business. Yeah. Well, I think we put the boot into Harpo's balls for
4: long enough now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, we we could we could uh, praise him and say he turned down the. David L. Lowe's $55,000. Yes!
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> to murder his hair.
2: Lowe offered 55000 for Harpo to shout murder, but you know Harpo wanted 60000 so they uh, couldn't come to an agreement. <laughs>
0: well, one thing you soon realize about this movie is that while almost all of it's pretty good, there's nothing all that new in it and most of the highlights are variations on something that came mm-hmm. before so in the first yeah. harpo scene with sig Ruman, uh, we're basically reprising his first appearance in opera with the, the same uneasy mix of whimsy and sadism yeah um, it's identical yeah yeah now how is that waistcoat gag done what gag uh, v- oh vest
2: <laughs> oh 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 where he turns it inside out without taking it off sid's arms
4: how is that done? It's brilliant, isn't I, it? I I agree. I, agree. I, I actually I, I watched it again last night with my wife, and I because she knows more about clothing than I do. I said, "How are you doing this?"
0: <laughs> but she wasn't helpful. It's a lovely idea, and it's done.
4: It's done brilliantly. Oh, and and and, yes. and Sigur is so good in that scene. I mean, he's he's such a, a perfect comic straight man, and that he's he's so busy talking to the other bad people. But, but obviously he's he's accommodating Harpo in terms of pulling off the gags, and and he he he's just it's it's just it's so good. Um, I actually have I have a weird question. Call yeah. me crazy. Um, the the, the Sigurmond Harpo scene is such a reprise of Laspari, and it's and it's uh, I mean I'm looking now I'm looking at it as a screenwriter as it is such an introductory scene for Harpo. Who's Harpo in this movie? He's the valet. To the to the bad German, it makes me ask if the holding up a building scene was a reshoot. If it wasn't part of the original movie, it certainly. And then they and, then they, and comes they had a test nowhere. screening. It, it comes from nowhere. It goes nowhere. Harpo is not in the lineup of suspects, and it's not in the novel. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I'm wondering if they had a test screening in Pomona, and it it took too long to get a big laugh, and they had a little money set aside. Yeah.
2: I think it was part of the stage tour,
4: but it was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, in, in terms of Marx Brothers' form, everyone usually gets an introduction. Right. And, and, and we meet each of them in the character they're going to be playing, and it's, it doesn't really connect to the rest of the film.
3: It, it is ad- admirably true to Harpo's original magical. Spirit oh, it's great! Because yeah, he it's great. he really is holding the building up. You know, if if Harpo didn't realize that that's what he was doing, then it would feel a lot more Thalbergian. Uh, okay, he's a man is leaning against a building. That happens every day. That, that's that's <laughs> perfectly real. The building happened to be about to fall when he got there.
4: No, no, no. no, no. It, it, would have, it would have panned over after the gag, and you reveal it's a construction site. <laughs> it, says, it, says, <laughs> it says, stay away. Uh, building unsafe. I'm going to make a case for this movie that the movie has a lot of surrealism. And uh, as we hit these moments, I'll, 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 I'll bludgeon them. Um, but I'm wondering, I mean, yeah, everyone always says it's the Frank Tajlin influence, but it's almost going back to Preethalberg in that there's a lot of moments that don't make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where there, where there's just a visual gag that is actually physically impossible. And I don't think we've seen jokes like that since Paramount. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get
2: that. And as far as Harpo being beaten again, the question I have here is, why is it necessary? Do we not know who to root for, Harpo or the Nazi? Do we not have that, yeah. enough information already to decide which, whose side we're on? Oh, the
3: Nazi's the bad guy because he's
2: beating. Oh. Harpo. I mean, is it? Yeah.
0: It could it even be actually to 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 make it clear to us that Harpo isn't also a Nazi? I mean, I'm not sure how he how he's ended up <laughs> working <Yeah>. for him. <laughs> well, I, they they <laughs> did pull back slightly
4: uh, at the end of the the you idiot don't you know how to shine my shoes scene. Yeah. Uh, Sig goes to slap Harpo, and it's buried under a dissolve. Oh, there's a lot of that
2: in this film, you know, where there's a fade or a wipe, yeah, and you can see that the action is still going on or somebody's still talking.
4: But but you you can actually see you can see Sig's hand yeah. start to approach, and then they dissolve away. So they 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 must have decided we don't need we don't need that piece of uh, vulgar brutality. Yeah. You guys notice
3: when Sig gives the uh, message to uh, Lisette Varia and he says, uh, see what you can make of this. My decoding is not what it used to be. It's the first thing to go on a Nazi is the decoding.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the, the decoding. What I love is that the German code book is in English. Yeah, that too. Yes. (laughs) Why?
3: Of course. (laughs) No wonder they lost the war. (laughs) <laughs> because Germans speak English like everybody else. They just say Schweinhund a lot.
0: Look, when this vacuum cleaner sucks up his wig, why, <laughs> yeah. why, why is it such a big deal? Why can't he put on affairs like Kurt?
2: Did they not think the look in the vacuum cleaner? Yeah. And
0: if, if that scar on his head is so incriminating, <laughs> why isn't that enormous scar on his cheek a problem? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a
3: good point. Yes, indeed.
2: And if this guy is trying to live under an assumed name, what's he doing writing his real name in a toupee?
3: <laughs> in his wig, <wiki.
0: laughs>
4: In case it gets lost, of course. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a German, Bob. It's a German toupee. But he writes, but he writes his real name, not the, uh, not no, not no, 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 name. the no, the toupee maker wrote it. Because you you hire you hire the guy at the corner toupee store to right. make me a toupee. I thought his
2: mom wrote it in there. <laughs> <laughs> he went to school, yeah. <laughs> um,
3: it is a nicely achieved moment, the toupee being sucked into the vacuum cleaner. One of many gags that just, it plays very smoothly and beautifully. And yeah. That must have taken some work to get that right. Yeah, yeah. that's
4: great. Uh, it's also a, a nice little touch that uh, Winsig is beating Harpo... Dust is coming off of Harpo, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife noticed that, yeah, <laughs> that, that's really funny,
2: <laughs> Matthew makes a good point about them showing Harpo being beaten because at least it shows that he's not in with them. um, yes, I don't know what we're supposed to be feeling about Beatrice. Are we yeah. supposed to be enjoying her singing, enjoying the Nazi show,
0: yeah, and she gets she gets off very lightly at the end as well, isn't she well,
4: relatively lightly. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is what is the deal with uh with lizette she was never cast again yeah I mean, she's 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 pretty solid yeah yeah what happened to her
3: she uh lived to a ripe old age i noticed but yeah only two film credi- credits and the other one is more than a decade before this one
0: she was a romanian cabaret star of the 30s i know that
4: it's just it, i mean she's got a huge part in this movie she can she can sing and dance and she's sexy and she can she can handle a, a funny scene with the marxes she quite well
3: she married an olympic gold medalist
4: Oh, in tennis, uh, oh, there you go. Francis
3: Hunter. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Uh, eight years after this, yes. <laughs>
0: and was never heard from again. Never heard from again. Um, and in fact, we do have her next, don't we? We have the first of two renditions of Who's Sorry Now, which is yeah. one of the most generally well-known songs, I think, in the entire Marx canon. It's not original to this film, uh, but it is written by Karma and Ruby, which is a lovely mm-hmm. little echo of the Yeah, podcast. the lyrics are. Um, oh, okay. Right, they both wrote the lyrics. Uh, Ted Snyder wrote them. Ted Snyder, ah, yes. Um, and she has two goes at it in this movie. This opening version in French,
5: mm-hmm.
0: which is a, again an odd touch,
3: but I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that it is a. It puts Kalmar and Ruby's names in the credits of this mm. Marx Brothers film, anyhow.
0: Uh, Chico is the next Marx brother to to put in a full appearance, and he looks a bit like a children's entertainer with a big floppy tie that he's acquired. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think an ill-advised addition to
3: his wardrobe, and a somewhat blunter hat than usual. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Though Groucho does get to say it comes to a, a pointy point, yeah, comes to a point. Yeah. Yes.
0: To a point.
2: <laughs> but as we all know, they burned that one after they. Uh finished uh, the big star.
0: <laughs> oh yes, of course on that. The big star inferno that they still talk about in uh, Cold
3: <laughs> Uh Harpo and Chico's handshake upon greeting mm. each other is quite nice.
4: Yeah. Yes. A bit,
0: a bit new as well.
4: Yeah, it's very very brotherly. It's sweet.
0: Wonder if maybe they did that on stage because they did some some stage work between uh between the films, didn't they? Mhm. Yeah. Yes. Mhm. Well, Groucho finally makes his appearance around the 11-minute mark, his second longest delayed entrance after At the Circus, and for exactly the same reason. As in that film, there is a missing first Groucho scene, showing him plying his trade before a telegram brings him into the main action. We shall now recreate this scene for your delectation. And in addition to the dulcet tones of Noah Diamond as Groucho, you will hear the vocal stylings of Heidi Gasell and Les Marsden. So, we see a hand-painted sign which reads, This is the Desert View Hotel, out of the High Tent District. Inside, another sign reads,
3: Please close your tent flap before leaving. Ah, Mr. Shrek Abdullah. And Mrs. Shrak Abdullah. And Mrs. Shrak Abdullah. And Mrs. Shrak Abdullah. And uh, all the other Mrs. Shrak Abdullas. Let's see, tent number two, the bridal suite. Shrek Abdullah and 28 wives for 27 days. No. Ah, 27 wives for 28 days. Yes. I'd have charged you for an extra wife if you weren't on your toes. And it takes quite a man to be on his toes with 27 wives. I'd be on my heels. That'll be 140 francs. I don't envy him. Remember, every one of those wives has a mother. Groucho finds one of the wives left behind in the bridal tent. He flings himself on the cushions beside her. Fine husband, he checks out of here and forgets you. I wouldn't worry about him. Men are ten cents a dozen. I wish women were.
1: He'll come back for me.
3: Well, he'd better hurry. Remember, the management is not responsible for wives left over thirty days. Don't be a fool. Come away with me.
0: I'll never leave here. I'm part of Africa, and Africa is a part of me.
3: Well, at least I'm seeing the best part of Africa. Suddenly, Mr. Shrek is
0: standing in the door of the tent.
3: What these tents need is a fire escape. Groucho
0: toys nervously with an hourglass beside the couch.
3: Gad, look at the time.
0: A quarter to eleven. Back at the office, a handsome young Arab groom and two blushing brides are waiting to book accommodation.
3: Honeymoon, eh? You can have number two, it's still warm. As a matter of fact, it got too hot for me. It's a lovely tent with a fine view of the ocean.
6: I see no ocean.
3: We're working on that. So far all we got is the beach. What a lucky guy. Two wives. Two wives. Anytime he's in the mood, he can play three-handed rummy. Groucho receives a telegram. So, they want me to take over the Casablanca Hotel. Why, I'll never leave this hotel. I built it up from nothing. It's my old age annuity, as solid as the Rock of Gibraltar. Nobody can take it away from me.
0: A sound of wind appears, followed by a sudden desert storm. The tornado sweeps the entire motel away. Like the camel beside him, Groucho is buried up to his neck in desert sand.
3: I thought the whole proposition over very carefully. I'll take the job.
4: I mean, knowing the brothers own the movie, I, I, I guess it, it, it says something uh, good about Groucho's own ego. I mean, I, I'm sure he had a vote and that he said, yeah, yeah, throw it in the, in the dustbin. Yeah. It is strange,
0: though, because, I mean, uh, you know, at least without the circus, we can say, well, OK, but it was a pretty crap scene. But this is, you know, this isn't bad. This is pretty good stuff. Um, and it does seem odd when you've got 10, 11 minutes of exposition to, to then lose a, a good laugh scene. I mean, maybe that was the point. Maybe they actually wanted to to build up Groucho's entrance, to delay it. Uh, because he does, he, when he comes back on, he does come back on. There's no question mm-hmm. in that. That white suit, which we've mentioned before, that looks so good on him. Yeah, it. yes. Uh, it is a real entrance isn't it so maybe that's why they they just wanted that
4: yeah and uh his entrance is a lot of fun because it's taken us back to the good old days and that he is the irrational new authority figure yeah and he shows up and he just starts babbling nonsense and everyone doesn't understand why why he wants to do why he wants to cook a 3 minute egg in 2 minutes <laughs> and uh it's taken us back to animal crackers and horse feathers and duck soup and day at the races which is I'm groucho and I'm in charge and and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about but you're going to have to pay attention to me
3: yeah mm-hmm. and yet i mean it it's more it's in all those other in all those early films groucho was in no way qualified for the role that he is introduced in in day at the races he is qualified but not for exactly the role he's cast in, <laughs> but there's no reason to think he's not a perfectly good veterinarian. And, and here he is a hotel manager who I guess is doing an all right job over at the desert view <laughs> motel. <laughs> he shows up here and he's sort of insulting everybody. Um, it's nice that it isn't self defensive, like in races. Oh, I hope they don't find out that yeah. I'm not really who I say I am. And, mm-hmm. um, and yet it doesn't feel quite like the same joyous um, thumbing of the nose that it was in the Paramounts.
2: And we should remember that not only is Groucho not trying to pull a scam on them, they're trying to pull a scam on him.
0: Yes. Yes. I do like the way when he walks up to that woman and um, stares at her yeah. and then walks away kind of glancing back at her as if she, she spooked him somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I should say, before we get too far past uh, Groucho's first meeting with Chico, that there is also some more missing material here. This time, some pretty good banter between uh, Groucho and Chico. That's well worth another recreation. And this time, Les is going to be doing the voice of Chico Marx.
3: What do you do with your camels? Uh, how do you rent them, by the hour?
6: I just to fill them up with water, and <laughs> they go for eight days. What do you feed them? Peanuts. It's the healthiest food in the world. Oh, how do you know? I was a monkey for three years. It's been longer than that. By the way, what are your rates? Twenty francs for a camel with the two humps, and ten francs for a camel with one hump. What do you charge
3: for a camel with no humps?
6: <laughs> a camel with the no humps is a horse. I got a horse, too, but the, the horse has a bump. Now, don't worry about the price, boss. Whatever you got, i take... They arrive
0: at the hotel and are greeted by Harpo, who takes possession of Groucho's carpet bag.
3: Be careful of that. Everything I own in the world is in that bag.
6: Hey, that bag is empty.
3: That'll give you an idea
6: what I own. That'll be 100 francs a month. But the meter says 50 francs. Yes, but I told you, it's a double for a camel with a two humps.
0: Groucho gives up and pays, but behind his back, Chico removes one detachable hump. Meanwhile, Harpo produces a whisk broom and begins violently to brush what
3: remains of Groucho's threadbare suit. Hey, get away from me! What's the idea?
6: What do you do, anyway? to what he does, boss. He's a valet. But he was trying to undress me. It's his business. He dresses and undresses a Count. Rusty's got a very tough job. Count's got a lot of clothes. He makes sixteen changes a day.
3: What's so wonderful about that? I did that
4: when I was three months old. <laughs> well, what, what? I mean, that uh, that that the, the camel material is it's it's fun stuff. Why would they cut it?
0: Don't know. That was good stuff, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it's... even what's in there, some
3: good material remains. I mean, there are good lines in in the first scene with Groucho and Chico, and uh, and yet there is this. Uh, lumbering quality, uh, like the checkered camel gag, which is a perfectly good joke. You know, not all the camels are yellow. We also have a checkered camel company. What we don't need is the insert shot of a camel with this checkered cloth yeah. draped over him. You're right. It's it'd be much better without the illustration.
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, the uh, the the extended camel scene is on the the Blu-ray, right? right. The, yeah. In the, in the audio tour. Yeah. And it, yeah, there's more there.
2: It, uh, he shows him a picture of the
4: yeah and, and it's, it's the material's playing the the uh the uh the military boys are laughing the scene is the scene is working i so it's sort of sad that they they trimmed it for the final cut they'd laugh at anything those guys they
0: just they just fought a war
4: <laughs> <laughs> actually actually that that's the that, that is how we always describe that tour though i i re reread uh Bader. And Robert says it was just a couple days at an army base, and then it was two weeks touring uh, real theaters.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Uh, cut short by Groucho's wedding to Kay, I think, right? He, um, uh, yeah. he, he ended that tour early to take a honeymoon.
4: How did that work out? Exactly. Look where that got him. <laughs> <laughs> of course, my
2: big question from the tour is, did Harpo wear a wig or did he goo fluff to himself four times a day?
4: Yeah, it it couldn't have been comfortable. I mean, Noah. I mean, you know, like putting the spirit gum in your on your scalp. I mean, that's no fun. Yeah, Noah, you would know that. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it is hard to
3: imagine that if the real reason was that Harpo found the wig uncomfortable, I can't imagine that he was more comfortable with whatever they were constructing (laughs) on his head for this movie. I, should we should we try to find a more comfortable wig, or should we perform <laughs> advanced augmentive scalp surgery on me?
0: <laughs> so yeah, we should say then that, that with uh, what we have said, in fact. So let me just say again that in this uh, Groucho scene, we've we've made a few kind of observations about, uh, about how it. Does play and doesn't play in certain respects, but it is full of lots and lots of very good lines, uh, mm-hmm. which is not something we're used to in, in Groucho mm-hmm. scenes, uh, up until this point. And, you know, we've got give him a chicken, let him work it out for himself. You know, think of the confusion. Yeah, but think of the fun. Uh, making a mountain out of a molehill. That's quite a trick. You try that sometime. Um, yes. You know, it's yes. snappy. Every line is a, is a, you know, at least a passably good joke. And that's, that's not bad at this point.
3: And the energy too. Groucho, yeah. he's not, he's not manic he's and, no Buzzel, and crazy yeah. like in the Buzzle films, the Buzzel films, but yeah, but his energy level is great. He's got a lot of verve. He seems to be having fun yeah. mm-hmm. and yes, he glides around in that white linen suit, like a, like a, a comedy ballerina.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean r- right after the scene where he, in- he insults all the management of uh, Whoever's at the hotel, they show him his new office, and he just he leaps into that chair and he yeah kicks back with his with his feet up on the desk like he owns the joint, and it's it's terrific. Yeah, Hmm. there's there's a there's a lot of moments in this movie where the guys are really physical and and agile and 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 you forget that these are sixty year olds. Yeah, I mean they really are giving it their all. Yeah, that does
0: seem to be the real Harpo doing that forward roll on the ladder into the into the plane, doesn't it? You you, you can see his face there, and I yeah, I think I yeah. think that's him, and that's that's not bad.
3: But the shot when uh, the trunk is opened and Harpo is hiding in the top part of the trunk—that's a beautifully filmed yeah. piece, and yeah. Harpo must be really doing. Yeah, that.
4: and in the uh, in the nightclub scene where they move the tables, I mean, that's Harpo and Chico running around with tables on their heads and chairs. I mean. They're carrying furniture around.
2: Until the finale, the only time I noticed a double was <laughs> when they were diving for that money they found before they went to the casino when they see a dollar bill. Yeah. Oh, really? When they're walking by the casino and they're like, ah, we don't have any money and they see a dollar bill there, they go leaping over uh, a counter for it and there's a, okay. a quick shot with double. Oh, wow.
4: It didn't, didn't catch yeah. it. Well, I'll, I'll counter that with Harpo climbs out of the elevator. Yeah, yeah. he he lifts. Him. I mean, this is a sixty-year-old guy yeah. lifting himself up into the ceiling. Yeah, and then and then he's climbing yeah. up in the elevator shaft. He's hanging on the wall. He, I mean, that, that's 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 pretty good stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, they're vigorous. Yeah, there. And it, there's there's it's hard to explain where the hell the shot is. I don't even know. Oh, okay. It's after they get out of the jail. It, it's just a, a throwaway shot of the three guys running across the lobby. Yeah. And they are running. And it's not undercranked. They are just going for it.
3: I also think this is one of those films where sometimes the use of stunt doubles is so obvious that when it's not obvious, it's probably safe to assume they aren't stunt doubles.
0: Yeah. So there's a bit more exposition now about the wig, which yeah, you can uh, bother to listen to if you want. I'm not sure I did. Uh, but then you get Kurt and Harpo's duel which is kind of a nasty scene. Uh, it is hugely redeemed, I think, by Harpo's refusal to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, I, lo- I love the fact that he's uh, fencing with a boxing glove on. It's a, it's a fu- I think it's a funny scene. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a bit ghoulish. All that talk about, I want to see him bleed. And OK. Yeah. I need to I, see I, someone in pain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, do,
4: it, do it for us. Do it. I, I, give, give, give me, I, will, I, I would like to see a little blood. I've retired. I've retired. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why I showed up today. <laughs> I, I just like this, the total insanity of it. It's just like, this is so inappropriate for a comedy. Give me yeah. some blood.
0: Yeah.
4: Uh, kind of mean, pieces, Kurt, yeah. And Kurt Kurt has an amazing line, which is a throwaway, but I love it, which is. And it's been so long since Heidelberg. <laughs> yes. Which is like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like she never forgot that
0: hayride. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Now, does he
2: literally want Harpo killed there? Or just wants him to, to nick him up a bit and make it. Yeah, little, just wants to see some blood. Teach him yeah. a lesson?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel the pacing is very slow here. This, the aspects of this scene that are bloodthirsty and unpleasant might have been relieved if it was a little, if the pacing was a little faster. I do think the best moment in it is Harpo eating the apple at the end while he fences uh, with Kurt. That is great. great. And that shows, I mean, that's what we want from Harpo. He's not concerned for his own safety at all. He's a little bored.
2: I think this scene is all right but, but it actually does give me my favorite Harpo moment of the film uh even better than the building uh falling down and that's when he's being brought to his knees and he rolls the dice
3: Oh yes yes
2: yeah yeah that's pure Harpo for me it just comes out of nowhere I love that stuff I wish there was more of that
4: in the film And we get the curtain ring gag again We get the curtain ring Yeah but the yes. di- the dice are great And then he get he gets a 7 and he's upset <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, uh, I, I, know some, some people on the Facebook page have, 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 uh, complained about that fat slob mayo, uh, for, for doing all this camera movement around that table that is in the middle of the, of the scene and it keeps blocking Harper. Cause you, you want to shoot this scene head to toe. You want to see the two guys dueling, but there's a stupid table there. So I, I was sort of trying to reverse engineer for my own sanity. Why, why is it there? And if you go to the end of the movie, the packing unpacking scene, the scene ends with Harpo, or yeah, Harpo underneath that same table, and then he opens it up, and it turns into the closing gag where the guys are mm. are, are tossing a circle of clothing into that table. Mm. Yeah. So um, just thinking about how movies are made. Movies are shot out of sequence. Maybe they, you know, they put the table there. They shot the unpacking scene first. And now they're stuck with that table, and the table does show up in other scenes in sweet um, suite. Um, but at the end of the day, I would say it's a it's a director blunder, and that sometimes you just got to cheat it, and sometimes you have a conversation that you go, "Well, if we pull that table out of the scene, will the audience notice?" And the answer is no, they wouldn't have noticed, no. and then they would have they would have been able to see Harpo head to toe for the whole scene. So. Uh, I, it's like when you make movies, when you make that kind of a when someone makes that kind of a wacky suggestion, you know we could just lose the table, then the producer gets pulled over, and the script supervisor is yelling, saying it won't match the other scenes, and the director is pulling out his hair, and everyone's yelling, and it beca- it becomes hard to implement something that seems so obvious, mm-hmm. but that 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 is a that is a goof on the part of the director that table should not be there.
0: Okay, next we have uh, Beatrice and Groucho reviving uh, memories of Margaret Dumont and Thelmertz, but especially, I think, Esther Muir from, from Races. Uh, she mm-hmm. sat up very much as, a, as an Esther Muir character. Uh, and in their first wooing scene, we have, uh, it's, uh, it's like living in Pittsburgh, which prompted another of David Lowe's publicity complaint scams. This one supposedly <laughs> from an insulted William B. McFall, president mm-hmm. of the Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce. He uh, supposedly complained about about this and the press saps that they are dutifully
4: reported wisecrack will remain in film when the <laughs> stunt run its course I, I i do like just the period weirdness of people blowing smoke in each other's faces as some kind of a seductive ploy
0: <laughs> it still works for
4: me i have to say but
0: i'm uh... <laughs> <laughs> very nice when harpo then comes in with that with that really, really long one. So that's, a, that's a, a nice flash of the old Harpo, isn't it?
3: And, and the old format, it feels a lot like coconuts, doesn't it? Yeah. Each Mark's brother has an encounter with the same woman, and it's kind of a variation on the earlier encounter.
0: Plus, of course, he's doing his old uh, smoke bubble mm. trick. Um, yeah. Pe- yes. People mm. ask how this is done surprisingly often, and it's always a pleasure to inform them that the answer is saliva. There's mm. no movie trickery. He just- <laughs> yes. Harpo just had this gift for Forming perfect bubbles of spit, which he could then inflate with
4: cigarette smoke until they popped. So, uh, full wait, 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 wait. is that really the is that really the answer? Yep, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. spit bubbles. Yeah. I thought he had a balloon in his mouth. No, no. he does it
5: with no, spit. Just,
2: a, just in the animal crackers as the, oh, topper. He, he yeah. the oh, he does
1: the balloon. He
0: does the chocolate on, balloon. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, but the smoke ones are just in bubbles of spit. Wow. So, it's this scene we're talking about. Is this
2: the <laughs> one where they're where they're at the lost and found? Uh-huh. Now, isn't, it, isn't it ironic that Groucho is all of a sudden making fun of somebody wearing a toupee? Yes.
5: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are some little iconic <laughs> moments, though, when he goes down under the Lost and Found desk, and he he stops and comes back yeah. up just to wiggle his eyebrows. Yeah. yeah. A- and then he goes back down. That's a beautiful little uh, three seconds of film there. mm <laughs> Um, and there's good lines here, too, in, in his scene with uh, with Lisette Faria here.
5: I shall be in the supper club tonight.
3: The supper club? Yes.
5: Will you join me?
3: Why? You're coming apart? Oh. That feels like an old classic from one of the early films. Uh, oh, oh, and when he looks right at the camera to say, that reminds me, I must get my watch fixed. After yes. watching her walk away. Yes. You know, that's... That's a classic. Yeah he He talked to the camera and at the circus and go west a little bit too, but this feels much more like what he did in animal crackers and horse feathers
4: he yeah. he talks to the camera a lot in this movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who's sorry now
0: gets a reprise next this time in English um, you do have to wonder if the entirety of her nightclub act was singing the same song in different languages <laughs> for an hour
3: <laughs> and making the audience sing most yes, of it like-
4: <laughs> well she's sick of singing it <laughs> make someone else do it oh,
3: and the crowd does it in perfect harmony too they they really sound great these random nightclub <laughs>
4: no, the, the extras they seem a little grumbly about it they're, 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 a couple of the, of the older guys have faces like i paid five dollars to go to a show i know i'm not gonna sing <laughs> uh but the esther
0: muir plot continues apace as she and sig uh start to set up the the plot to
4: uh to get to groucho um, um. Oh, right, right, right. it's 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 completely psycho <laughs> uh. which is they sit down to eat dinner <laughs> the waiter brings the menus they read the menus and then sig orders a murder <laughs> yeah
3: yes
0: i'll
4: have the murder
3: please <laughs>
4: with a side
0: of blood
3: <laughs>
0: right great scene next with a with a, a not so great beginning um, Harpo and Chico need to get some money to help Pierre. Chico has three awful lines here. You know, I'm a worried about Pierre. Uh, hey, not of that way when Harpo goes to take some money. Oh, and the particularly unpleasant. Hey, what I say? I'm a crazy. Um, yeah. But... Oh. oh. Why, why, Chico? <laughs> but it's all redeemed. What am I, a Marx brother? <laughs> it's oh. all redeemed by a very funny scene where, uh, taking, I think, the opera. Uh, cabin scene as it's uh, as its prompt. They fill the dance floor with tables. It's particularly good because it's visually very funny. They're being very funny, but also uh, Groucho is involved, and he's being very funny separately and as well. Uh, more great lines. You can hardly notice it unless you're looking for a plate of soup. Uh, speaks excellent <laughs> German. And bring this lady a cheese sandwich. Uh, this, was, um, <laughs> this was the high spot of the movie, uh, when we were doing our episode, uh, picking a scene from each film as a compilation, I went for this scene from this film. And I think, I think I still would. I think this is my favorite scene in the film,
2: but we're not supposed to ask what happened to the original maitre d. He just seemed to have disappeared.
0: <laughs> he's, he's, he's uh, playing craps with the puppeteer from monkey business. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs>
3: yes.
4: Uh, okay. This scene, this scene is my prompt to bring up two big contentious issues. Uh, one is, okay, so th- the motivation for this scene is that there's a weirdo in a bar, and he tells Pierre, I know who wears a toupee, but you got to give me some, some money. So they're like, oh, that poor Pierre. Well, Pierre can't help himself because he's a loser who only owns one suit and he has no money. <laughs> he, he refuses to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I slept in these clothes. I had ice cubes for breakfast this morning. All right. I'm wearing a cardboard belt. So, so, so lovable Harpo and Chica are going to help, help the young lover Pierre t- to make money for him so he can bribe the weirdo from the bar. So they do the nightclub scene. They move all the tables around. E- everyone who wants a, t- a seat in the nightclub gives them cash. They got pockets full of cash. And what happens to the money? We never hear about it again. Well wait a
2: minute, doesn't he give it to Harpo when he sits down at the piano and says, Oh go give this to Pierre?
4: Okay.
0: So what happened? Does Pierre then buy the information he wanted? He does I don't think he he doesn't get the information that way, does he? Harpo
2: already knew this information, why did he just get it from him? Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> By the way, I love the bit at the start when Pierre tries to explain himself. To, you know, he says, I parachute, we uh, flew in, I deliberately landed in Casablanca. I, I, the, yeah. They put me away, but I'm a hero. And the guy basically says, "Fuck off out of my
2: office." Yeah. <laughs> we're not, here, yeah, we're not interested in clearing your name.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, if, if we if we know they cut out 20 minutes, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if a big hunk happened right here, and and that. If there was material, where, Matthew would have to read the book to tell us. If, if Harpo uh, gave the money to Pierre, Pierre went to the to the the hobo, and then I don't know what happened. Yeah,
2: it's a good question. But why, why isn't Harpo giving up these people much earlier?
4: Maybe he doesn't know. He can't spell stúbel <laughs>
2: Okay.
4: Um, oh, okay. Well. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna, now I'm going to bring up. This is this is really going to blow your minds, and I want everyone to. Really be prepared for this. Okay. Th- this is my bombshell for this podcast. Ah. Okay. Okay, this movie contains three mysterious black jackets. They are never explained and they all sh- each jacket shows up one time. Each brother shows up one time in an ill-fitting black jacket. A very mm. big loose jacket, yes. 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 And I-, I think this is worthy of discussion. I'm trying to figure out if a lot of scenes got reordered and at some point there was a scene where all three brothers have to put on a black suit. Uh, mm-hmm. so the, the, the first time we, we see the, these mysterious black coats yeah. are at the beginning of the nightclub scene where Chico and Harpo are in these ill-fitting black jackets, which, ena- mm-hmm. which then enables them to pretend to be maitre d's or waiters to mm-hmm. do the nightclub scene. The second they've got the money, Chico pulls that jacket off because he doesn't want to play piano in that stupid jacket. Right, yeah. So why why were Harpo and Chico walking into that scene in black jackets? Someone tell me. No, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, I noticed
3: that too. I could only guess. Uh, Maybe they cut something about needing to wear a... Jacket to enter the club or something like
0: that. I'll I will uh, let you know if D.L. Ames tells us, but I don't I don't
4: think yeah. he does. I mean, where, where it becomes really weird is the third appearance, which is there's a 20 second scene. The entire scene is just Beecher saying to Groucho, "I'll see you in 30 minutes," yeah. and yeah. it's the it's the one point in the movie where Groucho is suddenly in a black tuxedo. He and Harpo fall out of the elevator. Right, and he comes out in a in his white, in his beautiful white suit, and then the next time we see him, he's wearing a black tuxedo with a bow tie. I mean, he's going to a black tie mm-hmm. event. Beecher says, "Come up to my room." He says, "Okay," and then he comes up to a room, and he's back in the white suit. Okay, where the hell? Why is his black suit in the movie? Anybody? That's a mystery. Good question. Oh my god. Well. <laughs> okay. Well, I I, I hope D. Williams comes through and Matthew can. <laughs> well, I, well, I can certainly tell you that uh, when they
0: when they uh, come down in in the elevator, they were still bouncing slightly as they staggered
4: across yes. the lobby. <laughs> They were. <laughs> they were. Oh, okay. But, but what, so, what happens after that in, in the novel? Well, t- I'll tell you. What happens after that in the novel is Chico is
0: filling up one of his camels. A water hose led from the camel's mouth to a pump, which was fixed with an indicator. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, uh, when's DL the next... aims for you? Well, wait. No. Wait. Wait. wait when is the next Groucho? show? Uh, hold on. Yeah. No. Here is that scene, and there's no. Yeah, it comes in
4: when it comes in in the film, and there's no indication
0: of, of what's of anything that's happened.
4: Okay, well, I I, I brought up a, a pointless uh, piece of trivia that's bugging the hell out of me, and I'll I'll drop it.
2: Scotty changed jackets and Duck Soup, and we didn't spend twenty minutes.
4: Looking into it. <laughs> then, okay. Well, it, it, well, it's it's striking because he's he's got that he's got that new look. He's got that that lovely white suit in the whole film, except for this one quick scene. Uh, my only thought is that I was looking at stills from the movie last night and he's wearing a black suit in a bunch of stills with Beatrice that was just staged publicity stills and you'll see him with her in black and then you'll see him with her in the same pose in white. So I'm I'm just wondering if if they did a lunch break and the publicist came in with the set photographer and shot a bunch of photos and he ended up in a black suit and then he didn't feel like changing.
2: Wasn't well, the whole shooting script on eBay for about fifteen hundred dollars or something
4: like that? Yes, I don't know if that gets me to what he's wearing. Okay. All right, you can cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, it's good. We'll, we'll we'll get some good answers. We'll get some good speculation. Okay. And a lot of and a lot of bad speculation. <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: interesting. Um, Chico's, Chico's number's coming up. It's a good one. Um, it presumably derives from his nightclub act, certainly the equivalent spot in Love Happy is, which compels me to think that Chico is probably the only one of the three brothers whose
4: team specialty actually benefited
0: from his activities during those retirement years.
4: He, he yes. came, back,
0: came back with some new stuff to do, didn't he?
4: Yeah, yeah. He's got a bit now where he stands up and he looks away from the piano while he keeps playing. And he's got that bit where he, uh, he's conducting the orchestra and then he throws, he throws the baton at the orchestra by accident. I mean, yeah. this all seems like nightclub material that yeah. he had yeah. worked out. It's good stuff. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I particularly like the way he ends the piano solo. As you say, Scott's standing there sort of in, a, in an offhand way. He's only got a little part of his attention on it and he finishes the piece and bows. It's, it's beautifully done.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, you know, Chico had those years where he had to support himself. And so he probably needed a one hour act and so he had to come up with a lot of new bits.
3: Yeah, a, a lot of which could be old bits from the earlier stage years, too. You get the feeling that he Chico seems so comfortable at the piano. Uh,
4: does anyone care that that, that 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 score that I'm always defending? Uh, it, the title song is actually repurposed as the rumba number when graduate dances with Beatrice. Oh, ah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, the composer's putting a little thought into that. Well, what are they going to dance to? Who's sorry now?
0: Uh, yeah, it's easy to uh, easy to ignore the next the next bit of uh, young lovers uh, stuff, but but you shouldn't because there's some absolutely fantastic dialogue that I hope Bob will uh, will drop in the uh, the clip from. If you imagine coming to this scene with no knowledge of the film or the plot, uh, it's great. Uh, it goes like this:
1: Hello, darling, you're on time. Darling, I'm, I'm afraid we're not going to enjoy the evening very much. Why? What's the matter? The toupee's gone. Well, that's good. Who took it? That's the trouble. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Who took it? That's the trouble. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's worthy of Harold Pinter, I think. <laughs>
3: it's worthy of Ian Esco. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then Cornblow comes back like he's Wily e.
4: Coyote, who's black to not go. Yeah. Excuse my ashes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no,
1: no.
4: there's a couple moments in the movie that make me sad, and this is one because shouldn't that stunt have been on camera? I want it. It just, it feels it's, it's so, it makes you realize the movie's cheap. Yeah, Yeah, it's
3: true. Uh, Yeah. On the other hand, Groucho does blithely walk away from an assassination attempt that, that these uh, competent villains were sure would do him in. What really bothers me is the way they have to help Groucho walk after he has the dialogue scene if he were just walking away you know uh with his full spring in his step i, I wouldn't mind that he's all kind of burnt up cuz that reminds me of the final scene in duck soup but the fact that they have to sort of escort him up the steps
2: and for some reason he seems really interested in hearing pierre's story
4: yeah uh-huh yeah i mean i mean someone <laughs> just tried to kill him and and suddenly he wants he wants the young lovers well please tell me more tell yeah. me more about your young lovers story <laughs> Um, does anybody want to spoil for me the
0: line, I'm all ears, pretty near anyway? Because I, I love lines that don't mean anything, and that seems to me like an absolute masterpiece. But is it some crap pun or something?
2: Well, here's how I took it. You know, he'd just come back from almost being, you know, broken into bits by that car going after him. So he was almost just, just a set of ears.
0: <laughs> the ears were all to the left. Yeah, well, it's just, it makes as much sense as anything. Yeah, okay.
2: I will take think that is a compliment.
3: In the, in the same scene, you've got that dates joke,
4: which doesn't
1: work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, until I saw you two, I thought every date in town was broken.
4: Well, it, it, it has the form of working. Yeah. Yes. It, appear, it, it appears to be a great joke. And then you go, wait, what did he say?
3: It would be a great joke if it wasn't such an awful joke.
4: <laughs> I, I, I mean, you could say it's what makes Groucho a genius. And then he, he sells it. And there might be a good, you know, 30, 40% of the audience that laughs thinking they heard a joke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were listening yeah. to the, um, the uh, stage show clips, uh, Matthew pointed out that they didn't seem to be selling it a lot, which I think was actually their point. They wanted the material to actually fly or die on its own. And they knew they could sell it on screen, but they wanted to really test the material for its own uh, level of quality and not try and push it over with the eyebrow wiggling and all that other stuff, yeah.
3: They're doing, uh, Groucho in particular, seems to be doing almost a plain text reading Mm. of the lines. And I I too thought of what you're saying, Bob. I think Adamson quotes a, a, a source of Groucho saying that he was in a very studied way not selling the jokes too much because he knows he can get a laugh with his eyebrows, Mm -hmm. uh, but he wants to know if the material is, is worth it. Mm -hmm. But there's also a breathless quality, I think, to Groucho on that recording. He sounds like he's a little short of breath and is kind of, maybe it's, you know, from doing multiple shows when he wasn't used to it. And maybe he really is a little hoarse. Mm -hmm. Insert your own (laughs) punchline there.
0: (laughs) So full on Esther Muir scene coming up. She's going to bump off Cornblow in his room. Chico's going to try and uh, tr- try and save him. So now we now have the next uh, whistling scene, which is a, a late uh, standard uh, Harpo Chico uh, thing. Uh, came in fairly late in their careers, but obviously now has, has become uh, one, of, one of their standards. Uh, this one begins with an odd image of Chico hosing down a lawn. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder now if that's something to do with the with him filling up the camel. Having just found that bit in D.L. Ames with a with a, yeah. oh, with a hose. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's,
4: he's- no, his his camels have been shitting everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 someone from from the the, the city came out and said, "Here's a hose, C- clean up your camels."
0: So it's a nice nostalgic whistling scene. Buffalo Bill makes another appearance. The big snake makes another appearance. Yeah. I love uh, She's a slap happy. That's really good. You know, the his guests are, the funnier. I think, I think the scene is, and particularly the, uh, the very, very long bit, B-29, 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 B-29. Yeah. I think that's probably the most fun I have with any of these <laughs> whistling scenes.
4: Oh, I, I, I love uh, all the wrong airplanes he keeps coming up with. <laughs> yeah, he names like four or five different World War II airplanes. Yeah, he, He's just pointlessly wrong.
0: And a, a very funny joke indeed, I think, when they, when they go to Groucho. The, the whole point being that Harpo has managed to convey this information yeah. to Chico. When they go to tell Groucho, Chico doesn't tell him, but Harpo just repeats the entire <laughs> yes. mime yes! As, as, as one, one long <laughs> sequence. And uh, Chico is kind of acting as if Groucho should, should get that.
3: That's, that's
2: very, great.
0: That's new that's and great. very good.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, he says, tell him what you told me. <laughs>
3: to me, that payoff makes yeah. the charade yeah. scene worth yeah. worthwhile. But I'm not
0: sure it ever really struck me uh, until uh, until
3: then.
4: Uh, what's the uh, what's the deal with Buffalo Bill? It makes me laugh, and I never understand why I'm laughing.
0: I, I think it's just the, uh, oh, the big moustache. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> the guy eating a watermelon. Yeah, so Buffalo Bill goes ice skating. Was the was the previous one, wasn't it? As, as, it's lovely, as if Harpo was trying to convey the information. Buffalo Bill goes ice skating.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, how about the seal noises that Harpo makes in this scene? That's one of those moments, like the sneeze yes. in the circus, which just feels wrong. It's odd, isn't it? I, I guess if it were hilarious, we'd be more forgiving. I, but it's both. I think it's funny, out of character. I don't mind it. Vaguely disturbing.
0: Lots more echoes here to note, of course. Uh, Chico offering to be his bodyguard uh, not mm. only uh, recalls monkey business, but it's also delivered in the style of the rehearsing, performing stuff in, in Animal Crackers. Um, and the whole scene of the manager's lunch, where, where they're stood around the, the desk and Groucho is behind the desk, is very mm. much like horse feathers. Yeah. Very much like uh the, the you know the scenes with the seal in horse feathers. And so
4: yeah, it's a it's a it's a very I think it's a, it's a very funny scene. Uh it's also it's also got some of that that the maybe Frank Tashlin surrealism where Harpo eats the candle and then Harpo moves the flame to his transfers finger. Transfers the flame about his, transfers it. Good. Yeah. He eats more candle and he puts the flame back. I mean th- this is this is magic realism. Uh, also, I, lo- I love Harpo and Chico eating the breadstick, and maybe they'll eat each other. And maybe they... each other is great, yeah. And, Harper... uh, uh, mm-hmm. and they kind of they end up kissing at the at the very end.
0: <laughs> and Harper going back uh-huh. to eating crockery and almost eating a telephone, salting the yes. telephone, taking us back to coconuts.
4: Yeah, yeah. He's eating he's eating uh, the cup and the saucer. It's great. Yeah. Uh, to me, all of those
3: gags are better than the one with the very long cork and the wine bottle, which is one of those jokes where it, it's like there's something funny about that wine bottle rather than <laughs> yeah. about
0: Harpo. Yes. But anyway, we've got the three of them there. We, they're interacting, they're
4: wisecracking, they're doing visual stuff. Yeah, there's and a, and, lots and, of and energy. all th- all three guys together. And, and uh, that's also why, the, why I, I like, love to defend this movie, is it is so loaded with trio scenes, with all three guys working together, uh, uh, to, to be funny. Um, it, 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 at a certain point, it just becomes wall to wall. All three guys in, in the scene together, and often framed in the shot together, and that—that's just pure joy.
3: That's true. It's one of the nice things about the marginalization of the young lovers yes. here. We don't have so many scenes where Harpo and especially Chico just have to support them. True, true. You
0: get comedy scene, comedy scene, comedy scene, and and you know you're you're not used to that luxury. Yeah. Speaking of which, we now get Groucho in the lobby taking calls from the guests. Again, uh, we're we're back at coconuts. Uh, Groucho, yeah. as sprightly as ever, but boy, of the years taken a toll on Zappo, stood next to him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, that would
2: have been a nice spot for a little Zappo cameo, huh? Yeah, or at least a picture of him on the wall. Yeah,
0: but we get um, we get the uh, the motorboat joke, and we get the the probably the, mo- the film's most famous. Um, Bit of Groucho Banter, the Smythe scene. How do you, how yes. do you like that? Puts a Y in Smith and expects me to let him into the hotel with a strange dame.
4: <laughs> yes, he's he's so aggressive. I love this scene. Yeah, it's great. It's great.
2: I do have a small nitpick with this. Now, mind you, I think this is a great scene. I, I think this is might be Groucho's best extended exchange with someone since maybe you know a Night at the Opera. So that's not the issue. I think it's all great, but. Just the setup of it and the premise of it, I have a, a small problem with. If you recall, the scene is set in the motion by this guy, Smythe, coming up to him and saying, clerk, you know, mistaking yeah. him for a clerk. And that seems to set Groucho off. Now, I recall a day when Groucho didn't need uh, that type of motivation to go after a guy like this. Mm-hmm. He would just do it uh on instinct. And then at the end of the scene, you know, Groucho's like, huh, clerk, like I, like, you know, he he felt good getting back at the guy. You know, so I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right, feel right about this. I guess this is a small nitpick and I'm going to get torn apart on the internet, but uh, it's happened before and it'll happen again.
4: Well, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> Fair I, enough. I don't mind because, I mean, Groucho is really crossing the line. I mean, he's basically saying that Smythe showed up with a whore. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Let, let's just call an apple an apple here.
3: I love the moment when it's like the last straw which is also the first straw the way he throws down the envelopes that he's going through he, he throws them down on the desk like I've had it and that's what he says of, of all the years I've been in the hotel business that's the phoniest story I've ever heard it's so great like all right buddy Yeah, if you even tried to make this convincing maybe I could let it go but that's it
4: uh, Gr- Groucho also has uh, a very Harpo-like moment uh, where he pulls off his shirt through his <laughs> coat, mm. wait, wait, which yes. is physically impossible. And um, I mean, is this Groucho's only surreal moment in other yeah. movies? Where he, yeah, he he normally never does stuff like that, does he? No, it's. I mean, what he does is is not possible. Mm. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's great It's great because it's not convincing in any way, except that it's totally in service of the joke. He needs to hand this guy yes. his shirt in a second so that he can do the yes. line.
2: Now, before we get too far ahead, I should mention that before this scene, we have the moment where, for the first time, I think since Paramount, Harpo actually gives a lady a leg.
4: Ah, yes. Wait, really?
5: It, it's been that long?
2: He hadn't done it at MGM. He did it in the stage door canteen. Yeah. uh bit where he had a little cameo, but he never did the, the leg thing at MGM. I don't think so. And oh my so. God. To
0: be honest, I hadn't noticed he did it here, too. Yeah, that's very good.
2: But here he doesn't do it for sexual reasons. He does it because he wants the the lady to use his shoe as an ashtray. <laughs> right. It's motivating. Well, he, he could have yeah. a foot fetish. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so Gretchen makes his date with Beatrice, and then we have the lift scene with Harper where they find the treasure. I did have a whole bunch of questions about this, but I think you've answered them, really. So, so for some reason, the Nazis know that the treasure is there somewhere, but they don't know where. Is that, is that correct? I wonder, I wonder how that could have happened.
3: I guess.
2: And is getting this treasure out somehow going to bring the Nazis back to power or something? Or is it just going to make them all rich? No, no,
4: no. He just wants to get rich and move to South America. But surely, if you if you're trying to,
0: the last thing you want to do is keep killing managers, isn't it? Getting getting the, hmm. the eyes of the law.
4: I don't I don't know why you're so attached to these managers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very sad movie, if you think it's about it. managers. I mean, they're, that guy in the opening <laughs> shot—he's a day player. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm playing a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so... uh, And then he he calls her up at 11 a.m. and says, okay, I'm wrapped for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, When when Harpo climbs out of the elevator, uh, it really takes me back to when I saw the movie when I was nine years old. Because I, I can remember sitting in the theater and suddenly the movie gets very mysterious and the lighting in that elevator shaft is very atmospheric there's something about hidden rooms
0: they're great yeah. in a, in, a, in any
4: film aren't they it's, Yeah it's... and then and then he and he ends up in the tr- in the hidden treasure room with yeah. the gold and the and the and the diamonds and the paintings and it was very magical for
0: me that first time It's like a Dario Argento film or something where they some portal to to another world Um the the I love the gooky painting joke oh which yes he, which he yeah. reuses yes. in incredible jewel
3: robbery doesn't it it's one of the few yeah. bona fide jokes in incredible jewel robbery
0: i'd forgotten yeah. that, it, that it gets yes. the first
3: airing here he discovers the nazis had a painting of a lexington avenue cigar roller
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean I, I, again i I'll, I'll put that in the surrealism category and that you wouldn't see that joke at mgm because it makes no sense mm mm-hmm. Oh, oh! But, but but then, but then Harpo has to reach for a treasure, then smack his hand, slaps his own hand. Yeah, Why? yeah. He's alone. No one's looking, <laughs> so he can stick it in his pocket. And it's
0: it's not going to find its way back to its real owner anyway, is it? It's all stolen loot. It's Nazi loot. So let let the little Jewish guy have some.
2: Yeah, consider it reparations. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It's never. It's
0: never going to find its way back.
2: And then he finds that painting of the lady. uh, I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be valuable. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's be a Rembrandt, isn't it? It's like, uh, yes. It's like a <laughs> CS
3: to me, but.
4: Well, I I I think it's it's actually a call back to Horse Feathers.
3: Yes, we're, the calendar. Well, you got yeah. the
4: pre- the pretty girl and you're right. you're sticking it up over another picture. Um yeah. it, it, when I was thinking about that, and I thought this movie has a lot of references to the earlier movies and mm. Is, they're not even necessarily jokes. It's not like, it's not like Brecker stealing a joke and trying to repurpose it. It's, it's, for me, it's something different. It's, it's them sort of saying a sentimental goodbye to their career. And there's, a, there's a lot of moments in this movie that, I mean, sticking the, sticking the girl over the cookie painting is in itself not a joke. He just doesn't mm-hmm. want to look at the cookie, but it makes us think of horse feathers. And um, here's a, f- a few others. Uh, Groucho has a line saying, "I've been in a closet before," you know, which makes us okay. that makes us think of monkey business. And um, Beecher says, "Are you sure you've got everything?" Which is exactly Margaret Dumont's line in *Night at the Opera*. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at the end of the movie, they say "Home Again," yeah, which is a reference yeah. to their first big show. And so I, I wonder if all of this was intentional, that it was a sort of a valedictory to this long career, and in their minds, this was the last time they were going to do it.
2: It's almost like a message to us, you know, 75 years later, where we could watch all the films whenever we want, back to back, and, you know, we notice all these uh references that people watching in
4: 1946
2: sure weren't going to get.
4: Oh, I no, but I, I'm wondering if this was for the three of them. Yeah, if, they, if there was a there was a sentimental thing going on. Yeah, it's like
0: it's like you saying, tootsie futsi in uh, in love, happy, isn't it? It, it
4: is. Yeah, it its It is conscious, I think. Yeah, I think it's nice.
0: And one nice thing about the harp solo, which comes in now, and I and I don't know, I haven't gone back and checked the others to see how rare this is, but it felt rare to me, uh, is that it's pure harp all the way. There's no orchestral backing, not even when it gets jaunty about halfway through at MGM. There's mm-hmm. some other instruments would come in, but it's it's just pure
2: harp. Yeah, what was the point of the feather?
0: I don't know. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> just,
3: to, just to do that shoe gag, uh, but, but yeah, yeah.
2: Was it a Forrest Gump reference? Maybe <laughs> that
3: must be it. Yes, uh, maybe he's come from down in that room with those
0: pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get the Esther Muir scene. We get Chico's interruptions, and we actually have the Blue Danube again. If there's any doubt that uh, these are very conscious echoes, we have we have the same piece of music playing.
3: Yes, yeah, the f- same piece of royalty-free music plays. <laughs> uh, this uh, seduction scene um, with Groucho moving the things back and forth between the two rooms is a, a little more tedious than it might have been. I think largely because of the music. You mentioned, uh, Matthew, the the score seeming to work against the comedy in the holding up a building gag uh, at the beginning of the picture. Uh here it's it's very much the same thing but it's drawn out even longer. This kind of lugubrious slow scoring for every action. Uh, it really bogs this down.
4: Yeah, I I, I don't like the sequence. It just feels like a lot of huffing and puffing. Um my my only conspiracy theory on, on why it's in the movie is that I'm, I'm just making this up is that they did it on tour and on tour they staged it like coconuts or the Henderson scene and the two rooms were back to back. Yeah. I'm just throwing this idea out there. And if the rooms were next to each other on stage, it would have been, it would have been funny and, and it would have, it would have been really tight. But right now it feels, right now it feels like he's got to load up. He's got to go down the hallway. He's got to get an elevator. He's got to go to another floor. It's just like there's, there's so
2: much
1: mm-hmm. dead air.
4: Yeah.
2: To me, the scene's worth it because we get Chico's two biggest laughs of the film.
1: Hey, boss, you got a woman in there? It's my sister. She is, huh? Well, I'm her brother. Get her out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then a capper at the end of the scene.
1: Hey, boss, you got a woman out there? No. Well, go away. I got one in here.
2: Oh, that's a great line. <laughs>
1: And I
0: like what you said about the uh, splitting down the stage, and, I, and I'll bet that's yeah. right because I'm always yeah. struck by that moment in uh, in Go West where there's there's literally just one shot of the of the two rooms split down the middle, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that can't be a coincidence that Go West was also uh, roadshowed. So I, I bet that's a relic of that too. So yeah, I think you're probably right. They probably did go from room to room on stage, and it and it did uh, it did get big laughs for that reason.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, imagining it on stage, then it would be Sig Ruman. It would be them them going through, them yeah. going through the front door, and then Sigurman coming in through the back door, and and we're we're watching it. It's it's whatever. It's a scene we've seen many times.
2: Now here's something I have to ask: What's the deal with the steam
4: room? I mean, <laughs> did we really need to see that? Sig, come on. Uh, I think and- Sig, Sigurmond had in his contract that he had to, be to- he had to be topless. Just a,
0: a little something for the Sig fans. <laughs> <laughs>
2: now I'm a little confused here about the plot. Tell me what, what I'm missing. Sig has asked Groucho to help him arrange a trip and Sig like leaves the hotel, supposedly going somewhere. And then he comes back to supposedly catch Groucho with B. No wonder what pretense is he coming back to the hotel when he is supposedly left to take a trip. I don't get what's going on here. Yeah. Why was he coming back there?
4: Why was he taking a trip?
3: (laughs) Where is he going? (laughs) Is there a storytelling reason why she has to make Groucho go back and forth so much and leave a note for Sig every time? Like, it feels like after the first one, it's only motivated by her saying, oh, I, I want to go to my room now. So the whole thing has to happen again. At this point, she does want Sig to find and kill Groucho, doesn't she?
4: Yeah, it, it makes less sense when they switch rooms, because the idea was he would walk in on Groucho in her room and be outraged because mm-hmm. she's his fiancée, I suppose. Yeah. But Sig walking in on Groucho's room, <laughs> it, it kind of gives him less reason to get upset. It's like, why are you in Groucho's room?
0: Because, as we all know, in, in a boudoir, two is company. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a scene that always surprises me. I always
3: forget it's in the film, which is Harper at the roulette table. Yeah. That's one of the connections to Casablanca. You know, you've got to have your scene at the roulette table. Um, and it does feel, in this nightclub, it feels a little bit like Rick's in Casablanca. I love the stop-motion shot of the coins piling up. Yeah, that's fun. Mm.
2: No, I don't get this. They show this huge stack of winnings, and then they cut back and they say, well, he's hit five twice in a row. Twice in a row? It looks like he's been there all night
4: winning. Oh, yeah. You're going to break the bank. <laughs> <laughs> The bank is the hotel, you idiot.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and another very evocative line, of course, remember what happened in
4: 1929. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's good Groucho, where Groucho is encouraging the destruction of the bank.
3: Uh, it's interesting to learn that um, before throwing you in jail, they don't first check to see if you have any Rembrandts on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> This
0: prison scene is is very Thalbergian. It's it's the lowest ebb moment, isn't it? It's the the night is darkest before the dawn. Uh, get all the get the heroes and and
3: the Marx Brothers in uh, yeah, in, uh,
0: the,
4: yeah. in the in the business. We call it the end of the second act.
3: Yeah, it reminded me of brain donors. Like I wish they had done a musical number here. Yes, yeah.
0: (laughs) Instead, what we do get is is Chico shouting at Groucho. You asking me how? It's all your fault. Really, (laughs) really lazy trip. (laughs) You've never seen that before.
4: Okay, I've got a big question. Someone can help me here. Uh, The the girl who, if anyone's forgotten, is named Annette. Uh, Why is she locked up? What does she do? (laughs) Oh. Why is she in the jail?
5: Good she wasn't
4: even in the casino scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's great. It's great being on Zoom, looking at your three faces. You're you're all totally perplexed. <laughs> Why is she in jail?
2: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit in the the a good answer right now. This <laughs> part where we're where we're confused isn't gonna be here.
0: Where Pierre goes, there goes I. I suppose is her is her reasoning, but. Uh...
3: Someone's got to. Maybe they cut a scene. She strangles somebody (laughs) to death. (laughs) Chico, in general, from here till the end of the movie, Chico does a lot of screaming for some reason. You know, he from from here forward, yeah, he yells at Groucho and Harpo here, and then later during the action climax, he's doing a lot of like, you know, watch out for that car. Why Why is Chico so aggravated about this?
0: <laughs> nice that they try and get out of prison by pretending Harpo has rabies. Of all, of all the ideas they can come up with, that's, <laughs> that's quite a good one. And, and if you listen very carefully, I was in two minds for a long time, but I, I'm pretty confident Groucho does shout mad frog. He, he does, does, doesn't yes. he? Yeah. Mad frog! Really?
3: Yes. <laughs> uh, we get to hear a little bit of uh, Groucho's French accent mm-hmm. uh, on the phone here. Uh, back from at the circus when he was French for a, a section of a scene,
0: and then we get the packing scene, which is which is sadly, I, I imagine, too complicated to have been done on the, in the live show. Because if it had, it would have been a, it would have been a cinch and would have brought the house down. But it's it's so carefully choreographed, isn't it? That, that I guess they. Oh no! Why, uh, why why do you say it wasn't in the tour? Well, isn't
4: it just too complicated to do all in one go? I'm not sure. Maybe. Nah. Um, no. No, uh, no, you're right. It's like noise is off. It's like you just you got to get the timing
3: right. Okay. Yeah, I guess it it could have been done. I do think, as with some of these earlier set pieces, it's just it's so slow, and the music is deadly. Yeah. If this had been performed fast, and either with no music or with Different music. I, it feels like it could have been a
0: great. So, scene. all right. So, we are saying it's not because I, I really like well,
4: it. I, oh no, no, no! I, I really like it too. I think it's, a i think it's delightful. They're, they're working as a team, and, and they're working as a team without speaking. Mm. They're, they're it's just like the, the three of them are an organism. It's like a machine.
2: First of all, regarding doing the scene on the tour. I don't see why they would have, you know, no matter how well it was done, the way it was done on stage would not translate to how it was going to be done in the studio before the camera. It would have been done in a totally different way. So I don't see why they would do it. But more importantly, if you compare the scene to the similar one in A Night at the Opera, in that one we have Groucho's running commentary where he's giving all these zingers to Henderson, and that's what makes the scene, you know, that on top of the physical action. We don't have anything like that here.
4: Uh, you, 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 you are correct. Uh, it, it does have lots of just throwaway funny, it's just tiny little things that make me giggle. Uh, that Harpo emerges from the trunk and now he's wearing a crown. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just wearing a crown. Or, or the bit with, uh, 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 Sig talking to, to Curtin and then saying, give me back the pen. What pen? And then Harpo mm-hmm. slapping him. I mean, like, yeah. all those little bits are, are enough for me to really enjoy the scene. Uh, for me, throwing the clothes out the window—that's
3: good. Uh, mm-hmm. All three of them. That's for me when it crosses the line over into being really funny. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of finally. And,
4: and 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 Sig is good at at underplaying his overplaying in terms of am I going crazy?
2: <laughs> he does a lot of drinking in the second half of this film. <laughs> he
4: does. <laughs> Heinrich Stubel had a lot of life plans and they haven't gone well. <laughs> and and he, he's stuck in some piece of junk hotel in the middle of the desert with the money so close he can taste it, but he can't find it. And that's that would drive a man to drink.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I would prefer it if the film kind of rounded itself off here um the airplane scene yeah. it's a big it's a big uh, comedy scene i i don't get much out of it other than harpo's facial expressions when he's piloting which are harpo at his most truly deranged he, he's <laughs> pulling the most extraordinary facial expressions and then obviously the uh, the wonderful line home again at the end um yeah.
4: the rest the rest i can take or leave Oh, he's great, flying the plane, and the, the, when there's, a, there's a car on the runway, and he honks his horn at it. <laughs> I,
3: I do love the moment uh, referred to earlier when Groucho says, Well, here we are, up in the air. What a stupid remark that is. <laughs> uh, not only is that great, really a genuinely surprising and funny line, but it sounds to me like it's Groucho's paramount character rebuking his later MGM yes. character. Like, mm-hmm. here we are up in the air. That's like a go-wester at the circus line. And then Paramount Groucho comes in to cut him down to yeah. size. Mm-hmm.
4: Also, just more on a technical level, I, I, I enjoy just the 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 uh, weirdness of the style of shooting outdoor scenes from this era, where the uh, there was some law that they, you never let your stars leave the studio lot. Don't ever... Let them off the lot, and so every every shot which is actually out in that desert is a stand-in, mm. and then yeah. so so you've got stand-ins in the truck, stand-ins in the car, stand-ins running under the uh, the the airplane. Right. E- e- even when it when it's just a shot of the guys after they get out of the the truck and they're standing there, it's yeah. and then when they punch into our guys, it's our guys on a soundstage with rear projected desert behind them. It's just this, this weird thing where where studios were afraid of, of, of letting their, their, their cast, like, I don't know, they're going to get hurt or something. It seems like a lot more trouble.
2: And as Matthew astutely points out in his book, the double for Harpo is wearing a wig, so he actually looks more like Harpo than the actual Harpo.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he
3: is. <laughs> There's some very obvious uh, doubling in here, and I think now with the blu-ray so beautifully restored and on the very large televisions we are all enjoying these days it's so obvious uh, when they have non-marx brothers in those costumes
0: let me show you the television uh, i watched it on look at that baby uh, oh, what he got? there that he is all. tiny oh. on
4: vhs
0: oh sad <laughs> well, I, I watched
4: it on my, on my big projector and it, it looked beautiful
2: yeah but you still didn't notice chico in the opening
4: you're right uh <laughs> So I I can't watch the action scene without thinking of Groucho and Me, which was probably the first Mark's book I read. And when I read it, and I was you know I was ten years old, Groucho described hanging him upside down on that ladder, and it's the mm-hmm. last night of shooting, and they're in overtime, and the wind machine is blasting him, and he's just miserable. And they say cut, and he walks up to his brothers, and he says, "I'm retired. This is it." And when I I read that when I was ten. It seemed kind of petty. Which, for me, it was, whatever. This is what you're paid to do. You're paid to, you're paid to shoot scenes in movies. What are you bitching about? So I'm watching, I'm watching it this week and I'm realizing I'm basically Groucho's age when he shot yeah. a night in Casablanca. And, and I'm more aware of the passing of time and knowing that Groucho has been doing this stuff since he was 14. And I can understand it now that it's 2 a.m. And it's like when you're in your late 50s and it's 2 a.m., you're tired. And he's hanging upside down the ladder, and I can understand him climbing off that ladder and turning to the brothers and saying, enough. I'm too old for this shit, you know. his I I, I understand it now that his decision made complete sense.
0: But also, of course, what he
4: knows now
0: and didn't know going in is that Copacabana is around the corner. That, that solo offer has now has now got to him. So I think if, if – I mean, Copacabana is, is a charming film. But I, if it hadn't come eh, along, eh. I, I wonder if we might not have squeezed another one of these out of them.
4: Well, yeah. I, but and there's also – I don't know. Maybe I got this out of your book. I can't remember. There, there's the strange quote from Harpo talking to Bob Thomas on the set while they're shooting and Harpo saying this is too much work. Yes. And Harpo and Harpo was not a complainer. Mm. And this film is very Harpo heavy. Harpo is treated very, very well by the movie. Gets a lot of material. Yeah. But you know, maybe they were just getting too old for this. I think they were. I think they were also
3: starting to not it, particularly Harpo and Chico and particularly Harpo. It's a tough character to grow old in. Whereas Groucho could kind of keep doing variations on his thing, no matter how old he got, although there were changes there too. Harpo's behavior is so it just plays and reads very differently on a, a lined face, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. I I I mean, being uh, idealistic, you know, a lot of us have talked, you know, on the Facebook page about, you know, it's too bad. It's too bad that Gummo had to go make Groucho solo jobs, and it's too bad Night Casablanca didn't kick off another four or five more movies of this ilk. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just like yeah. nice, nice B plus yeah. Marx films. Yeah. But, yeah. but that th- thinking about that, that that, that and I, I went and reread that section in Groucho and me, and, and th- thinking about it, I, I get it. Mm. I, I I get that just like guys feeling like, what we. I mean, whatever they. How long have they been? They've been doing this like 40, 40 45 years at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah a, It's, that's just, a it's just a shame time.
0: that they wasted those previous five years not doing it. Yes, came back, yes. came back, came back, pretty great, and then yes. and then called it quits again.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah.
2: You know, it sort of answers some questions. Were the Marxes too old? You know, people were wondering. Was it? The times had changed. Were they just not capable of being funny in the forties? Well, this answers the question. They could do it if they're given the right material in the right circumstance. Yes. And it is frustrating because it really points out how much they wasted much of the forties, pretty much anything. They wasted the whole time after room service, you know, not really giving a crap. And, you know, had they given a crap, we would have could have had so many more quality films, maybe not classics, but quality films.
3: Yes. And I think that is the happiest difference between this film and the three later, uh, the three last MGMs, is that maybe because they had money in the picture themselves, but the brothers seem to care about what they're doing here. And I don't know if they're really having a good time, but they're acting like they're having a good time.
4: Uh, the 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 plane crash off camera really makes me groan. It bums me out. They, It's like they didn't even have the... Whatever the five grand to go build a miniature airplane and crash it into a miniature building i, I it's it, it, it's a strange piece of editing that you don't you don't see the plane crash that's what I feel that budget
5: mm-hmm.
4: the very very ending um I love Harpo slapping sig on the head. As Sig gets hauled away with his bald <laughs> head, Harpo just gives him a whack, yes.
3: which is great. Uh, Groucho and Harpo attacking Sig together is a nice little moment at the end there yeah. too. <laughs>
4: I enjoy that, and then, and then the, the the closing shot: three guys chasing Beatrice off into the distance. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a perfect closing image. I think it's worth
3: mentioning that uh, the famous James Agee line about how the worst the Marx brothers might ever make would be better worth seeing than most other movies he could think of. Uh, this is the actual film he was talking about um, mm-hmm. in his review in the nation. And um, it's, it's true. We've uh, invoked that line repeatedly, especially when talking about their later work. Um, but this is a film we can say that about happily, you know, it's not like, well, it's not, it's not great marx brothers but at least it's the marx brothers you know ultimately even if it's sort of close you come out you know positively from this film and glad they made mm. it and uh, it doesn't have that bitter taste to
4: it yeah no it's it's mm. not bitter i mean the fact that the the three guys say home again mm. s- self-referencing how they started it's just it's very yeah. warm before running off with a nazi
0: <laughs> running off running to start a new life, just the three of them, and a female Nazi.
2: <laughs> uh, she only uh, came clean because they were going to leave without her. Yeah, sounds like she had a change of conscience.
4: Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that like the master yeah. race? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a great line. What a great line. Yeah. <laughs> what,
3: what a great it's line. It's kind of a surprising line.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Scott Alexander.
2: Well, wait, oh, Scott, tell, why don't you tell us what's going on? What you got yeah, anything in the works that we should be w- looking forward to?
4: Um
2: Cornblow is my name maybe.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, the the, the 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 pandemic has been so weird that uh, uh Larry and I have been super busy writing because writers can actually work. Something coming uh, up on
0: IMDb, isn't
4: there? I noticed. Well, no, there's lots of stuff, but it's just sort of piling up because Everyone, everyone is reticent about actually greenlining anything, and I, I'm, I'm assuming until everyone's got their shot and the whole cast and crew feels safe that there's not going to be any big yeah. productions. Well, that
0: brings us to the end of another podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, Scott Alexander. It's, it's been a lot of fun.
3: It's been an honor. Always a pleasure.
0: And thanks again to Les Marston and Heidi Gasell for appearing in our scene recreations. And thanks to you for listening. And look out for a special bonus podcast, which will be on the way soon, in which we will be supplementing our deep dive with a look behind the scenes of A Night in Casablanca in the excellent company of Mr. Joe Adamson. Until then, as the sun sinks slowly in the east, here is our final song by Special Arrangement with the Warner Brothers Legal Department.
5: You must remember this A kiss is still a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things Apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say, I love you. I'm that, you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time goes by. moonlight and love songs never out of date Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate Woman needs man, and man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome lovers As time goes by Welcome, lovers. As time goes by.
1: The Marx Brothers
4: Council podcast is hosted by Matthew Conium, Noah Diamond, and Bob Gasell, and is produced and edited by Bob Gasell. Matthew Cunningham's books, The Annotated Marx Brothers, and That's Me Groucho are published by McFarland. Noah Diamond's book, Give Me a Thrill, The Story of All Say She Is, is published by Bear Manor Media. Both can be found at major book outlets. For more info on this and all episodes, visit our website at MarksBrothersCouncilPodcast.com. Also look for us on Twitter. And for the place to talk Marks and meet fellow fans, join us on the lively Marx Brothers Council Facebook group.
0: See you next time!